This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Vijay Chatur, co-founder and CEO of BlueShift. On this episode, Vijay talks about how marketers can use AI to scale their efforts, why marketers should shift from a channel-centric to a customer-centric approach, and much more. A big thank you to Vijay for coming on. This is a great episode, especially for anyone looking to understand more about the future of AI and marketing. Enjoy. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we are at Blue Shift HQ here in downtown San Francisco. Vijay, what's going on? You know, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on this podcast. We're excited to have yeah. you because we're going to be talking AI and marketing and a whole lot more, plus a little bit about your background. So first, how did you get into marketing in the first place? You know, my uh, interest in marketing and my experience with marketing has been shaped over uh, a few different experiences. Uh, so my first job out of business school was at a, as a, at a company called Cosmics, which back in the day was an AI ML company, eventually got acquired by Walmart. And one of the things we did at Cosmics was uh, launch, uh, you know, use our technology to launch vertical focused search engines, one of which was uh, was called righthealth.com. And through a lot of digital marketing, we were able to make that the second most visited health website at that time, you know, in the US, which was, which is great. So that happened within a span of 18 months from launch. Uh, so literally from zero to going to all that traffic. And that was my first exposure. And obviously after that, you know, I started an e-commerce company called Murtado and building that brand took a lot of marketing in very different forms. And eventually that company got acquired by Groupon, became Groupon Goods, which even today I think contributes a significant portion of Groupon's revenues. And at Groupon, uh, my initial role was building on Groupon Goods, but then I took on a global marketing role. At that time, Groupon was operating in 48 different countries. We were operating marketing at scale, uh, using a ton of different uh, customer data. And I was fortunate to be involved in uh, in that marketing group as well. Yeah. And so flash forward to, to BlueShift. Why did you start the company? I started the company to solve some of the pains we saw in marketing at companies like uh, Groupon and Walmart. And really, a lot of that goes back to how you and I as consumers, how we have changed in how we interact with brands. And if you just think about us, we have become much more digital, mobile, and social over the last 10 years. And as a result, the data that we leave behind with brands is changing super fast. And if you're a brand like Groupon, if you're a brand like Walmart, pretty much any brand out there, you're starting to look at your customer profile of any customer and back in the day, it used to be pretty static. It didn't change much. And today, that customer profile is much richer. It's changing super fast. And you start wondering, well, that's interesting, but what do I do with that rapidly changing customer profile? And suddenly, you start realizing that there are more and more applications on which you can deploy that customer profile and drive a intelligent customer experience. And, you know, back in the day, you would just think of email marketing as being the primary application for that customer profile and that data. And today, you know, 
TV advertising is becoming people addressable. Brands are starting to deploy chatbots that engage with their customers. Channels like email are still important, but so are mobile push notifications, in-app, SMS, direct mail, IVR. And you suddenly start looking at an average brand today, and that's a brand that is connecting with customers on at least 100 different touch points uh, for some of the larger brands. And these 100 touch points have different applications that are powering the last mile of customer experience. And most of these applications are not using either a full view of customer data or a consistent way of orchestrating customer experiences across all these different apps. So the problem that we saw at companies like Groupon, and again, making it sort of very real, when I was at Groupon, it was the, uh, we were one of the first companies to be on Facebook custom audiences back in 2013. And that was the first time that paid media as a channel became people addressable using first party data, right? So before that, if you think about it, paid media, you always used to rely on somebody else's data to address paid media. And suddenly that as a channel became people addressable. We could onboard our first party data onto that channel. We had international properties uh, in Asia, which is starting to say, look, our messaging applications are exploding. How do we consistently use customer data to inform experiences on all these different applications? And that got us thinking on, you know, how about we build a system that can unify the customer data because our data is fragmented in the first place. So the notional customer profile that we talked about doesn't really exist in that form in most companies. So step one was really about saying, how do we bring all that data together? But more importantly, if you have to now make customer experience decisions as a brand on so many different applications, how do you use AI to consistently make those decisions? How do you make those decisions in real time? How do you sort of use the smartness of AI to power the right offer, the right content, the right product in front of the customer on, on each and every channel? That was a problem that we saw firsthand at companies like Groupon, Walmart, and that caused me and my co-founders to start thinking about the idea of a blue shift. Why the name Blue Shift? You know, it's funny. Uh, we started thinking about Blue Shift. Uh, the initial name came from Doppler Effect, where shifting towards blue is really about increasing frequencies. Mm -hmm. And we really, really thought about how can we increase the frequency of customer engagement between brands and customers. And that's how we came up with the name Blue Shift. But fast forward to now, and that's not how we came up with the name, but now I like to joke about it, that Amazon has a data warehouse called Redshift. And if you think about data warehouses, uh, that's where data goes to sleep. So I talk about how Redshift is where your data goes to sleep and BlueShift is where customer data goes to work. <laughs> I love that. Um, so yeah, what does the company look like today? What are some of your customers um, and kind of what are you, uh, what are you excited about? Our customers are consumer brands, and these brands are, uh, some of them are like uh, LendingTree, PayPal, BBC, Discovery, and many others. And if you look at sort of all these consumer brands, going back to what I said earlier, all of them are seeing an explosion in customer data, and all of them are seeing an explosion in number of applications that they use to engage with customers. So some of our customers, for example, for the first time are starting to think about addressable TV, right? And how do they use the same customer data that they want to use on email, push notifications, which are all relationship marketing channels. How do they start using it on addressable TV? How do they start using it on paid media? And when they start, when their framework of thinking shifts in that direction, they suddenly start realizing that, you know, firstly, they don't even have a consistent view of customer data, but more importantly, they don't have the decision engine which scales to all these different channels. And that's where BlueShift comes in. Yeah, so one of the big things that we talk about 
a lot on the podcast is like this idea of like the marketing sprawl where it's like you just have so many channels now you have so many different applications and all these different things that especially with paid media that you can look at spending money on you know obviously the the primary two being google and facebook but you know out of home all these things how does when you're when you sit down with the cmo or marketing team how do you get them to you know look at all these channels measure these channels and provide kind of a coherent picture yeah, I think it's a, that's a great question. I think that goes to the heart of uh, obviously why we exist. But it's a huge transformation that needs to happen in brands where traditionally brands have been very channel centric. And I think today with the explosion of customer data and sort of that always on customer, I think finally there's an opportunity for brands to understand customers as the dynamic individuals that they truly are and to really put the customer at the center of the experience. And I think without that glue of data, that was kind of hard, right? You had to start thinking of like, well, I just have very little data. Let me just kind of do batch and blast email marketing. Let me just, you know, run sort of brand ads on on paid, which are, you know, uh, which are the same across every customer. But now with the explosion of data, you can start saying, look, I can now tell a personalized story that can be told across multiple touch points. And this wasn't even possible five or 10 years back, right? So this wasn't possible because the channels did not accept this kind of data, like paid media only became people addressable on, only in the last 10 odd years, at least from first party data point of view. And the amount of data was obviously not enough to sort of drive this kind of experience. So I think this is possible for the first time. And uh, when we talk to CMOs, the good news is that we are starting to see more and more of them are starting to think about the customer experience in a slightly different form. So the traditional way of thinking was obviously acquisition and retention and within that a set of channels. And I think now the reality is like, uh, it's really about activating data on all these different channels with the customer at the center, because you might have the same data being used on a paid media channel, which traditionally would have belonged to a different organization in the past. And this, that same piece of data used on email, right, which, again, in a channel-centric world would have belonged to a different part of the organization. So when we talk to CMOs, I think uh, one of the shifts we help them educate, you know, help them get educated on is really about about that shift from a, you know, channel-centric mindset to a customer-centric mindset. And often that discussion about the nature of customer data ends up being sort of that glue that ties all the channels together, the good news is that more and more CMOs are already starting to think about that. And we are obviously there to help in terms of accelerating that thinking. You know, you've talked about in the past this idea of switching from channel centric to customer centric. What does that mean? So really, I think, uh, you know, if you think about, again, going back to, let's just say, you know, relationship marketing channels like an email versus a paid media channel like, uh, you know, like display advertising, Traditionally, you would use very different data sets for, for these two channels, right? And you would actually not think of, think of the same customer touching the brand on both these channels. You would almost think of a strategy for email. You would think of a strategy for display, and they would be very disconnected from each other. There would be no picture of a customer like Ian at the center of these strategies. And I think what, what the explosion of customer data and sort of the idea of, uh, of using the same data across multiple channels has made possible is that you can actually now 
you know, put the customer at the heart of the strategies, right? So you can actually say, here's a customer, here's what we know about them. They are at a certain stage in their customer journey with the brand. And based on that stage, we can engage them across multiple channels with the same story, right? So essentially, the brand has a certain story that it wants to tell you. And that story could be told through multiple pieces of content. Some of those pieces of content are more amenable to channels like email. Some of those pieces of content are better served on channels like display. Uh, some might be best served on, you know, on automated IVR calls. Uh, some might be great for sort of messenger applications. Hopefully not. Um, no but I more think automated are. calls for the love <laughs> of everything holy. <laughs> yeah, so I think, uh, you know, there's, but I think the whole, whole idea is that whether or not, you know, you you need to use all of these channels in your mix. I mean, every brand will have different set of channels that they want to deploy. But I think for the first time, now there's an idea that you can really think about unifying your customer data and making decisions which are based on a customer state rather than making decisions that are based on what a channel team wants to do. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant insight because I think for a long time, the idea was like you said, you have an email strategy or you have like, you know, certain things and you put a person on that team and they're the person developing the strategy. And it's kind of like tweaked to the customer rather than built for the customer and then tweaked to the strategy. Right. But, you know, kind of conversely, I think a lot of things that, you know, you see people screw up too is that they, you know, take this kind of one size fits all approach. Not that that's what this is, but they take, Hey, hey, this is who we're going after. So let's have the same sort of messaging across, you know, YouTube ads and, you know, email and whatever, or and social. And then it's like it does horrible on social. It does like so-so on email right. and it does great on, <laughs> on YouTube because it wasn't personalized to that channel. How do you kind of like mix and match those two things to make sure that you're staying customer centric, but you're speaking to people on the channel that they, that they want to be, that they can easier, uh, yeah. more easily engage. No, that's a great question. I think there's always a balance and really customer centric really just means putting the customer at the center, uh, you know, but there's still things at the periphery and the channels are at the periphery of that experience and you have to optimize for each channel. So I think that doesn't go away, but really it's about saying in that balance, are you putting the customer at the center or the channel at the center? And, and the shift is really about saying, you know, how do I now make customer influence strategies? How do I really think about, hey, this customer who's potentially watching my ad on YouTube might have already interacted with three other emails. And can I use that knowledge to make the YouTube ad smarter uh, or vice versa? Yeah. And so is that is that kind of at the core of what your technology does is help you do that? That's exactly right. Yeah. So I think we are using AI to make decisions that are customer centric. Uh, so really the way our platform is built is that you know, it's really three interacting layers which kind of make up that customer experience. So at the bottom end of that uh, stack is really about, uh, is all about collecting the customer data and unifying it. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you're a hospitality brand, for example, traditionally you have data about customers 
stored in different silos. So you have a transaction table, which might say that, look, Ian, you have three different reservations with this hotel chain, and each of them might be three different transactions with a different check-in date and check-out date stored in a different table. Uh, they might be a behavioral table, which really says, here's like your website behavior. There's maybe a loyalty table. And none of those are really about the customer. Uh, essentially, all of them are really talking about, hey, here's what you're doing with respect to the transaction. And the first part of what we do is bring all that data together and kind of index it at a level of a customer. So we start saying, hey, here's everything we know about a customer. This customer is maybe five days away from a check-in at a certain location. And all of that is sort of brought together into one customer profile. So that's step one. But really step two is about saying, how do we figure out the who, what, when, and where of marketing based on that data. Because now that you have all this data, you can start saying who are the customers who are most likely to perform a certain action, right? And you can look infer that using AI by looking at each customer individually, but also looking at that customer relative to all other customers. And so, for example, when we have companies in the financial services space, they're looking at all of their customers saying, who are my customers who are most likely to transact in category credit cards in the next X number of days? And then they can start saying, what content should I merchandise in front of each and every customer? And again, they can use BlueShift to figure out the right recommendations for the right offers, the right products to put in front of them, the right channel, which is the where, and the, the right time, which is when. So they can. So that's sort of the second layer of our platform, which is taking all the customer data and intelligently figuring out the who, what, when, and where. And really the front end of the platform is about the orchestration and the decision-making, which is truly real-time and scales across all customer ex experience applications. Uh, so an example of that could be a brand saying, look, as soon as a customer is likely to perform a certain action, let's just simply say that customer is likely to churn, I want to deploy a certain set of marketing actions across all of my channels. And I want the system to intelligently decide which channels, what offers, what time, using all the intelligence that we built with the data, right? So that's at the core of what we do. And that, going back to your question, puts, I think, the customer at the center rather than trying to make sure, you know, rather than trying to optimize for the channel, even though the channels are still important. You know, as, as AI continues to become more and more clear as something that's, you know, critical in every kind of aspect of marketing. How does that kind of like remove some of the things that marketers do, but also enhance some of the things that marketers can do? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think about the evolution of marketing technology over the last few years. Uh, so if you think about it, at the heart of it, marketers are great storytellers, they're great strategists. But what marketing technology has made them do over the last 10 or 15 years is made them button clickers, right? Because uh, you now have to make a bunch of selections, go through a lot of rules, set up a lot of operational stuff. And I think in a lot of ways, I think the creativity and the strategic part of marketing has been sucked away from marketers. Yeah. And they have been made to do a lot more operational work because they have to, even though, you know, the word phrase marketing automation came into vogue last uh, last few years. It's not truly automation. I think we see marketers sort of working for their customer data and for their marketing automation more than the marketing automation working for them. And I think now with AI for the first time, I think what's starting to happen is that the AI is, as long as it's transparent to marketers, the AI is able to partner with marketers to make those decisions at scale in a manner that marketers trust. 
And at the same time, take the outline of the storytelling from the marketer, right? So as a marketer, you can still define sort of, here's, here's the story I want to tell about the brand. Here are sort of the different parts of the story. But I want to tell this story in an individualized form to millions of people, right? And telling it to millions of people is where the AI comes in because the AI takes the outline of the story and figures out that the right time to tell the story to Ian might be a certain time, but the right time to tell that story to Vijay might be a different time. The right channel might be a different one. The right offer content to plug into the outline of that story might be different for us. And that's where I think the partnership between AI and humans can really put the marketer back in the role of a strategist and the role of a storyteller. So do you think that, because I think that what you said is really interesting about the marketing automation piece, because I tend to agree with you. And and the reason why is because at the end of the day, a marketer still has to write the copy. You still have to create the campaign. You still have to come up with those things. In order to do A-B tests, you you need to have an A and a B and somebody's got to create that, right? So (laughs) at the end of the day. But so do you think that as AI allows, is more predictive and can say, these are the things that we should be doing and they're bringing us these type of insights, how do marketers take those insights and like enhance what they're doing, like create more novel, fresh campaigns? And, you know, with with regards to personalization, I think that the idea of personalization is is super fascinating for certain types of campaigns, but there's also campaigns that inherently you don't want personalization. Like the, you know, the Budweiser uh, uh, frogs, which is a dated reference, but, (laughs) but it's like everyone collectively had this experience that was, we all saw this set of, you know, advertising, which was TV ads at the time. So there's some amount of like communal thing or the Geico gecko or whatever it is. Um, So you do have some of that where it's like, you want to have this generalized uh, certain types of campaigns that people share those experiences with each other. But conversely, you want to make sure that you have personalization and it feels like it could be more work if you're, there's more and more and more and more personalization, then you need more and more marketers to create that personalization. But maybe it's just that our skills are, are evolving. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it's obviously a pretty big question. We could, we can, I'm sure we would have a great conversation if we kept chatting on this for a couple of hours. But I think simple analogy to use is if you think about sort of, uh, you know, in some of the campaigns that you talked about, right? I think the reality is that many of these campaigns, even though they appear to be not personalized, touch the customer on many different touch points at many different times, Mm -hmm. right? And now you start saying, okay, how do I weave those different touch points and the right timings and sort of enter and exit customers into the full story? Because I might have entered like maybe this, you know, each of these campaigns that appear to be non-personalized, really made up of a story that has, you know, step A, B, C, D. And maybe I as a customer, jump into step B and suddenly my experience has to adapt to to sort of where I entered and started interacting with the brand at a certain step. Yeah, not to cut you off here, but that reminds me of like the, the KFC commercials recently where they had all these different like stand-up comedians playing it. But if you came in at like the third comedian, you'd be like, I, I, this is just right, weird, right? right? Yeah. But it's like they're trying to tell this this continual thing right. and keep it fresh and interesting. Yeah. But it's like, if you never saw the Rob Riggle ones or right. whatever it is. Yeah. And I know this is a TV campaign, but, but, and I'm sure they ran all sorts of other stuff, sure. multi-channel, <laughs> you know, according to that. Yeah. But the idea is like, if you are trying to tell a coherent story yeah. over the course of potentially multiple years, yeah. uh, 
and you're dropping someone and you can't tell it linearly right. because the people might drop in at year two and yeah. they did, they have no context for all the previous stuff. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, some of those campaigns as well, which at the very outset look like they, they're not necessarily personalized campaigns can actually benefit from personalization because if you start tracking some of that data and you start looking at where customers are engaging, they might have engaged in a very nonlinear fashion. And how do you still tell the full story uh, and fill in the missing parts? That's where AI can come in. The other sort of example I like to give is if you think about many brands have a lot of different content that they can put in front of customers. And the same outline of a story could be personalized with many different piece of content for different customers, right? So you might still have a you know high-level brand story, but what it means for you as a customer might be slightly different than what it means for me as a customer. So I think that's where the collaboration between the human marketer and the AI comes in, where the human marketers are great at writing the outline of that story. But suddenly they say, look, I have a million pieces of content. I have 10 million customers. How do I take this outline of a story and pick the right piece of content for each and every customer? That's not possible at human scale, right? And I think that's where the collaboration between the marketer and the AI comes in, because I don't think AI can write the outline of the story just yet, Uh, at least in 2020. I don't think that's going to be the state of the technology. So marketers are still going to be in charge of the creative storytelling. They have to figure out the vision for the brand. They have to figure out the strategy for the brand. But where they can lean on AI, where they can lean on technology is to partner with them to scale that story to millions of one-to-one versions. Yeah. And so does that look like, you know, I imagine kind of like the main character goes to blank, has this crazy experience and then is, you know, left. And then at the end has, is better off for having, you know, used the product sort of a thing, but it's like the location that they're in could change. Absolutely. demographic of that person, the age of the person, their hair color, you know, all those things should change. Absolutely, and you can yeah. kind of, you know, drag and drop all of those different sort of things, whatever. And then you just add in all of the variables for that. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. That's exactly right. Yeah. What are some of the cool things? And I know you can't share trade secrets here, but what are some <laughs> of the cool things that either you've seen from your Groupon days or you've seen from uh, from current customers that have kind of leveraged this customer-centric AI approach? Definitely. I see a lot of our customers using this approach across multiple channels, right? And I think there's a lot of uh, cool users. But I think more than specifics of sort of saying how are people using it, I think the maybe I want to talk a little bit about the mindset of how, how they measure it. And I think the most common way of measuring it is really about saying, hey, how much of the revenue left, which, which is great. So I think uh, when we look at our customer base, We've been fortunate that uh, someone like Forrester independently went and validated that this drives like a massive revenue lift and like a huge ROI of about 781%. But more than that, I think the validation that I like personally is like uh, when brands started start talking about how this approach affects the customer. And one measure of that that a customer sort of shared was that their NPS scores went up after they started doing one-to-one personalization across multiple touch points and telling that story. And this customer is sort of in a, in the online education space. They have tons of different pieces of content they could put in front of, of the customer. And they have many different channels on which customers are engaging with them. And once they started seamlessly, you know, putting the right viewpoint, like I think, you know, based on the, based on all the attributes of the customer, including behavioral 
demographic, location, all these attributes, they started putting the right sort of pieces into the shell of that story. You know, that obviously drove revenue and growth up. What they were excited about more uh, and what we are excited about is that it also drove up NPS scores and customer happiness. Were there any pieces in like those customer conversations where they were worried about how their team could leverage the software to, you know, kind of just basically not just have to sit there and implement all day and do those sort of things, but actually take value. And then also like for offline channels, um, I know a lot of this is for digital, but how does this interplay with offline and the other campaigns that they're doing, the out of home, things like that? Yeah, no, I think those are both great questions. So the first one really is about, hey, what are brands and marketers kind of worried about as they start thinking about this kind of technology? And I think the biggest, uh, you know, worry, which is very legitimate, is really about how do we understand, you know, all of this AI? How do we know that this is doing the right thing by our customer? Because easy part to measure is the revenue, but, you know, you want the technology to do the right thing by the customer. And I think that's where, you know, as BlueShift, we have made a lot of investment in making that AI truly explainable. So when you go into our application, we help you sort of understand where the customer is at in their journey, what, you know, if you deploy this technology to influence the customer journey, what might the results look like for a hypothetical customer? Maybe you can kind of, as a marketer, try to understand before the fact what might happen if you use this technology on yourself as a customer, right? And I think some of those things have really alleviated those concerns because, you know, I think there's definitely some bit of a natural fear among marketers on, you know, how this technology is going to affect their customers. And obviously customers, those relationships are precious. As a brand, you don't want to damage them in any form. And when you're making manual decisions, maybe that doesn't scale, but at the very least, it makes sure you treat your customers with respect. And the biggest thing I would say that technologies like BlueShift and other AI technologies have to do is convince marketers and brands that the technology is explainable enough where they can trust it, they can try it, they can understand what will happen before the fact, and then they can deploy it at scale. What about when it comes to common mistakes or pitfalls that you see marketers fall into when they start looking at AI? I think the two biggest ones that I see, one of them is really about underutilizing their data because uh, the AI technology is only as good as the data it gets. So if it is missing key data sets, is going to make the wrong decisions, is not going to be as smart. So really, I think uh, investing in sort of the fullness of data and bringing all of the data to bear on the AI technology, that's sort of the number one advice to make sure there are no pitfalls in, in some of the campaigns. So that's number one. Maybe number two goes back to the point about explainability of the AI. Marketers who don't fully lean in and try to understand what the technology is going to do and conversely have a view of like how it'll impact and how it'll interface or interlace with the stories that they are trying to tell. They are less successful than the ones who do lean in and start saying, hey, here's the kind of story I want to tell my customers. Here's how the technology is going to aid it. So really, I would say the two sort of pitfalls to watch out for are really about, one, uh, making sure you have all the right data. Number two, making sure you really understand that interplay between the human storytelling and what the machine is doing. Do you think that there are some... I know that most of this is B2C, but do you think that there are some pieces that you've seen from your customers that will be 
either like ready to use for B2B or, you know, pretty clear for B2B and kind of going forward? That's a good question. Uh, I don't think I have the final answer on that. But as I, when I think about that, uh, the couple of things I think about, one is really that B2B in some parts of B2B are becoming more like B2C because B2B, at least in the world of software, is becoming you know, more user-friendly is being adopted by a large number of people. And suddenly, like, the interaction between the customer and the brand starts looking a little bit like uh, like like B2C, right? Uh, and secondly, I think, like, uh, even in the B2B world, data explosion has not been as much as, at least the first-party data explosion has not been as much as in the B2C world, but it's starting to become, you know, trend towards that. So I do think at certain point, maybe some of these ideas, some of these technologies will be relevant to the B2B world as well. And, you know, what that point is exactly, it'll be hard for me to say, but I do expect that in the next few years uh, with B2B becoming more consumerized, uh, that that'll start happening. Well, and I think real right now, if you're talking about if you have 10 million customers and a million, you know, campaigns that you want to run, obviously you need AI right. to be able to figure that stuff out. If you have, you know thousand customers and a hundred campaigns. Yeah. Um, maybe your team can handle that a little easier or That's exactly maybe, right. yeah. maybe there are certain parts of that that you can do internally. And then with, you know, ABM targeting a certain number of accounts and the key people on that team and how you kind of shape those and build deeper and deeper engagements. No, that's exactly right. And I think one the one key piece of insight here is I think in the B2C world, there's also a lot of feedback between sort of that marketing action and the interaction back from the customer. And when we think about true AI, which is like a closed loop from data to decisions to that feedback and becoming smarter with every piece of feedback, that becomes very, very critical. Now, there are definitely aspects of B2B where you get that feedback faster, but sometimes the cycles in B2B end up being slightly longer. Uh, and that ends up being one of the challenges that, you know, maybe there's still some intelligence, there's some, some data science you can apply, but maybe it's not quite true AI yet. Well, and I think that ultimately, you know, B2B has such a larger sales component, obviously. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, it still has to get to sales and sales has to close it. Yeah. Maybe it's more for uh, the B2B products that are kind of more self, self-serve will be will be the earlier uh, blue shift adopters. I think so too, yeah. <laughs> um, that so, right. And I did want to ask you, it seems like the type of customers that you're working with, leveraging you know your technology, using things like customer-centric AI, those CMOs and marketing leaders are so close to the customer and they're so close to revenue. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, our yes. CMO is going to be CEOs of the future. Well, things like this allow the CMO to be so close to revenue. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it seems and like not only so close to the revenue, but it also allows the CMO to be much closer to true customer experience. Yeah. Because I think the traditional, like if we go back like 30 years or 40 years, right? I mean, just to dumb it down, if you think about sort of the world where, CMOs were controlling billboards. At that time, the marketing and the customer experience were totally decoupled from each other, right? I think obviously there's some linkage in, in how the story was told, but uh, physically they were very, very decoupled. And I think now what's happening with the explosion of digital, mobile, social, all of that is that the lines between sort of what is marketing and what sort of in product customer experience are are intermingling. I think like, and, and there's an, you know, as that happens, CMOs are, 
to your point, in charge of more and more revenue for sure, but they're also in charge of uh, really controlling or influencing that customer experience across more and more touch points. I want to do a little story time on on some of those Groupon days because I think everybody, gosh, I don't know what percentage of our listeners <laughs> have done a Groupon, but I know clearly. I have. It's funny. I still get, uh, I don't think I updated my like location one time. Like I still get like rafting on the Yuba river. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not there right now. Um, but I'm curious, you know, like Groupon when you were there was doing and still is, I'm sure massive amounts of data, creating yeah. massive amounts of data, massive amounts of per- personalization and really no platform needs more personalization than something like Groupon, right. which is, you know, a market maker for all of these experiences. And then all of these people who may or may not know if they want to have these experiences. Right. I'm just curious, like, how did that kind of shape your view on data and any kind of crazy stories about kind of the scale and scope of that work? Yeah, I think just uh, for context, obviously, I was at Groupon more than five years ago now. Uh, and that's when I started Blue Shift. But that experience was great. And, you know, with Groupon, we were seeing a ton of customer engagement on our websites, on our mobile app, which was leading to a lot of data. And I think we were in those days, obviously, still in the early days of uh, understanding that data. For example, we would store all our web and mobile behavioral data in Teradata, which was just a data warehouse. And we would hardly use any of that. Right. And and that was Obviously, uh, you know, that was crazy. And and we would have the CRM team, which would employ data scientists, and they would one-off kind of go and dig into that data, come up with an insight, and might maybe do one-off campaigns. And I remember there was a marketing executive team meeting that we had where uh, our then-CEO looked at the uh, CRM leader and said, look, uh, you're presenting to me the results of five sort of one-off campaigns that you did last month. All of them are data-driven campaigns. And in your list of five you know, campaign number three looks uh, really good. And that's awesome, right? And uh, and he said, can I have that every day? And there was like a silence in the room. And, you know, people said, what does that question even mean? And uh, to me, it made a lot of sense. I just thought that's, of course, if something is working, that's how you should engage your customers every day. And you should really kind of be in the rhythm of sort of uh, using that data intelligently day in and day out. But we just did not have the infrastructure to do any of that, right? Because, uh, you know, going into Teradata, digging that data and trying to figure out, is that data based on a certain cookie the same as a customer that we know from another record? And then to start really applying any kind of data science on it was was a process that took months, even for very smart data scientists and engineers, and wasn't really scalable. And that was sort of an insight that struck with me saying, hey, why, you know, a company like Groupon, which actually at that time employed, you know, more than 100 engineers directly reporting into marketing, right? So we were not starved of resources. We were not starved of capabilities to build things and act on data. But despite that, it was hugely challenging for us to make sense of that data in an intelligent manner, in a customer-centric manner, day in and day out. And again, we started, like I think I mentioned the experience of, uh, you know, being the first company to be on Facebook custom audiences, right? And suddenly that was a game-changing experience for us saying, oh, wait, now you're saying that, you know, all the data that we have, which at least as it related to propensity for local activities, we had better data on a majority of the U.S. population than Google or Facebook did, right? And it made a ton of sense for us to use our data to 
do paid advertising because we had better data on, on our business than, than some of these platforms. So we started doing some of that. And then we suddenly realized, hey, wait, we are actually spending paid media ads on customers who would have converted through email anyway. And we didn't have a way to make those unified decisions saying suppress these people, spend more on those people because these customers are going to convert on email. Those ones are not. We just did not have any of these systems. And those are some of the things that come to mind when I think about sort of the challenge and the pain <laughs> that we saw, which uh, led us eventually to start uh, start BlueShift. All right, let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like B2B marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to <laughs> pardot.com slash podcast, learn more about marketing automation on the world's number one CRM, that is Salesforce. Fast and easy questions, lightning round style. VJ, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is most fun? I'm using an app called Tiny Beans. Uh, I have a three-year-old, and it helps me capture, catalog all his life moments and share them with, uh, with my family and go back and peruse all the, all the fun moments uh, we had with him. Favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I read the Nexus Trilogy by Ramiz Nam. It's a science fiction story about nanodrugs that uh, help brains get programmed and connected with each other. Uh, really fascinating read. Three books uh, would highly recommend it to everyone. What about your hidden talent or passion? Maybe uh, making a lot of puns, which I don't know <laughs> if it's a good talent or not. But, uh, you know, I think people either groan or smile uh, when I say that. <laughs> Can never be too punny. What is your favorite vacation spot? That's an interesting one. I don't think I have one single favorite uh, vacation spot, but I do like going uh, to outdoor spots, whether it's hiking in Patagonia, hiking in the Grand Canyon, Yosemite, whatever that might be. Uh, all of those are favorite vacation. That it's not a particular spot, but. Anything outdoorsy is great. <laughs> What's your best advice for a first-time CMO? You know, a lot of people who become CMOs for the first time are coming from an experience where they were in charge of certain set of channels and they were thinking about marketing from a very channel-centric perspective. But that's not how customers think about the interaction brand. As a customer, I think I don't think of myself as an email marketing customer versus a display advertising customer. And really, the my advice to to first time CMOs would be to start thinking about how different parts of your organization and different departments are touching that customer experience, and how you can be that glue that ties everything together. And if you do that, you can truly drive customer centric growth across your entire organization. Final question. What do you do for fun? What do you do for fun? I like uh, all kinds of uh, active activities in some ways, uh, running, skiing, hiking, and maybe the one, one thing that's less active is reading. Uh, so that combination is what I like to do for fun. Awesome. Vijay, this has been great having you on. We didn't even talk about Chandar. Shout out to Chandar, <laughs> who's, uh, who's on the board and uh, better be listening because he's a multi-time guest here at Marketing Trends. But thanks, for, thanks for coming. Any, uh, any final thoughts? No, it's great. I think it's an exciting time to be a marketer because I think for the first time, the combination of uh, data and technologies like AI 
are helping put the marketer back in the seat of the storyteller. And I would encourage every marketer listening to this podcast to take advantage of that opportunity and do fun and interesting things uh, with the kind of technology that's available to them. Awesome. Take care. Great. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.